in our gospel today, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. I shall show you whom to fear. Be afraid of the one who, after killing, has the power to cast into Gehenna. And I think it's in maybe another, the same passage shows up in a different gospel, and um, maybe in Matthew or Mark. And it's very clear that Jesus is contrasting the body and the soul. Soul is actually, I don't think it's, it's mentioned here, but it's implied. And in the other gospel passages, there's a real contrast between the body and the soul. It becomes very clear. What's very remarkable is uh, when we talk about the human soul uh, as, as opposed to the human body or the, the relationship between the soul and the body, uh, there are very strong philosophical considerations uh, that really demonstrate the difference between the soul and the body and that human beings have souls, immaterial souls. Um, and uh, that, that's really worth looking into and, and considering and reading about. Um, it's very, very important to, you know, if you're, if you're someone that just kind of finds themselves in the human condition and you say, well, what, what's good in life? What should I do? What's worth ultimately pursuing? Is there an afterlife? Is there a God? You know, the question of the soul is a very, do we have souls? You know, it's a very important question. And you can get to the truth of that answer just simply from philosophical considerations. But there's also empirical, or if you will, scientific, quote-unquote, evidence for the existence of the soul as an immaterial reality distinct from the body. And that is, uh, that can be found when you when you look into near-death experiences. Very fascinating body of research that's been developed over the past 40, 50 years uh, on near-death experiences. It's very well researched and um, incredibly good books with credible researchers, PhDs, medical doctors, people who are not kooks or into the new age or whatever. I mean, they, they really are, are uh, credible academicians and, um, you know, very sound, good, persuasive uh, empirical evidence of the existence of the human soul. So with near-death experiences, you have people from all over the world reporting different things, and, and, and there's this, I, I believe, this is Tedeschi's interpretation, is there's, a, there's a huge margin of interpretation. They had these experiences, and different cultures, they experience them, they interpret these experiences differently based on their cultural presuppositions. Um, so there's a lot of subjectivity to it, and I wouldn't ever advise anybody to say, uh, you know, let's learn about he- what heaven and hell and eternity are all about by studying near-death experiences, because it's going to be hit and miss. You know, consulting um, a well-confirmed, credible religion such as Christianity is going to be a much more sure path to understanding those big questions. But there are certain aspects to these near-death experiences that go to show very clearly the dif- difference between the soul and the body. So they're very valuable for that to that extent. So, for example, after the human heart stops, within 20 seconds, the the brain waves will cease. Okay, so there's no activity in the outer outer part of the brain. There's a flat EKG, I believe, or EEG. And um, shouldn't be any kind of experience or conscious thought or anything taking place at that time. Well, people commonly, it's very common, people commonly say, uh, well, I had a lot of experiences after that I flatlined. 
you know, and I saw the doctors working on my heart and they had my chest open and I saw one doctor get mad and the one nurse, she, you know, she dropped the, the scapel and she picked it up and then they took my dentures and they put it into this drawer and it's extremely common reports and they're very well documented. Uh, and in fact, some um, hospitals now, what they're doing is they're placing, I think I might have mentioned this before in another homily, they're placing pictures and images up at the ceiling level, uh, such that if someone's on a on the, the gurney or the bed or whatever, they can't see these images. But if they're up top, like, then they can see the images, and that would become proof that there was an out-of-body experience. Um, because commonly, what they'll say is, I was floating five feet above my body, or I was in the corner. I, my perspective, I could see things from the corner of the room, and I could look down and everything. So uh, they're now starting to put these pictures in places that only that upper perspective could could actually see. All of that is very. There's no there's no medical explanation for all of that. The only explanation would be an immaterial soul that's dis, that, that can be distinct from the body. The most persuasive instances of this that I see are um, when they go into another room. So the person will report, "Well, I like floated out of my body and I went into the other room." And I heard my brother-in-law and my sister saying X, Y, and Z. Okay, and then after the person's revived, they go and they say, this is what you said. And they said, yeah, that is what we said. Right? So there's no way that the person could have perceived that because it was in a different room. Um, those are, the, to me, the most persuasive evidences of the distinction between a soul and a body. The other, um, one of the most remarkable cases is this. Uh, it was a woman who had an out-of-body experience, and she actually floated outside of the walls of the hospital, and she could see the parking lot and, and all this. And then she saw a shoe placed on a windowsill, and it was like the third floor up in the hospital, and it was just this weird kind of thing. It was a shoe, just one shoe, sitting on a windowsill, third floor up. It was blue. It had a scuff mark. It was the, It was like the left shoe of the left foot. It was the shoe of the left foot. She saw that clearly. And then after she came to, the doctor who had actually was involved in near-death experience and out-of-body experience um, investigations interviewed her. And this is while she was still in the hospital and said, I saw a shoe X, Y, and Z. And the doctor goes out there and confirms that that's, in fact, there was this blue shoe. It was a left of the left foot, and it was just like she described it. So that would be an example, very well documented. It's not made up that there is obviously some kind of immaterial reality that's distinct from the body. Um, so those are, are really important considerations. Um, Jesus is talking about the difference here between the soul and the body. And uh, the body can, can you know, uh, it can become dissolved and the soul still is in existence. The other thing that people commonly, uh, maybe like, 30% or 20% of people who have these out-of-body experiences, they also have what they call a, a life review. And they can see their entire life kind of flash before their eyes. And they can see, it's a little bit like Ebenezer Scro Scrooge, you ever see the Christmas carol, right? Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, he has the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future come and talk to him and he kind of does this review of his life. And the people, they see all the, the kind of the, the harm that they did to individuals from their perspective. They see the good things that they did. They see the bad things that they did. And they have like an examination of conscience that takes place. 
And it's really, I think, you know, a grace from God that's given to these people because they come back and they live much better lives according to whatever moral code they have. I mean, it's not like there's the Ten Commandments aren't given to them, you know, A, B, and C oftentimes, but there is some sense of morality and an inspiration to be a better person. And they come back and they want to live more, a more selfless life, one that's centered more on their neighbor, on the good of their neighbor. And uh, it's uh, very powerful for them. Uh, and again, I think it's the grace of God because it, it kind of propels them forward in, into the moral life. And I think this is just a little illustration of what, I, what I'm using here to, to kind of unpack the gospel. Jesus is saying, you know, you what you do when no one's looking, what you do in that, that one little interpersonal interaction, all of that has eternal meaning. You know, we, we go through every day and we do these little things. We think, oh, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. It is a big deal. And in the end, everybody's going to have a life review, basically. That'll be what the final judgment is all about. And you'll see what you did. You know, Jesus says there's nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. Whatever you have said in the darkness will be heard in the light. So there's nothing, no private interaction that's a human interaction that's moral that has no consequence or significance everything that we do has eternal meaning and there's going to come a time where we we see that clearly there'll be a perspective where we see every good thing we did every bad thing we did had a consequence and a meaning and a purpose and an eternal significance and at the end of the day because we have eternal souls what really matters is that those moral interactions that we had every little, every bit, every day, and we encounter them every day. So, my brothers and sisters, let's um, you know, let's be encouraged to take very seriously every single little moment of our day, uh, knowing that as 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 creatures possessed of an eternal soul, um, these little things have eternal consequences.